What's good, and welcome to episode four of the Sons of Saturday podcast. I'm Tyler Rojek with Luke Smith alongside. Obviously, this week's episode is going to be a little bit different considering there's no Notre Dame game to recap after their matchup against Wake Forest was postponed on Tuesday of last week due to more positive COVID tests within the football program. It was devastating news for all of us, but fear not, the Dukes-Mayo Classic has been rescheduled for December 12th, and we still have plenty to talk about today. Um, We'll get into the three things from Saturday that we liked and what we didn't like, and what felt like the first real Saturday of the college football season with the SEC and Big 12 back with a full slate of games, and we get the chance to talk with Tony Rice, yes, that Tony Rice, the last starting quarterback to win a national championship at Notre Dame. Hopefully, that title changes soon, but it was a really fun conversation and honestly an honor to have him on. But Luke, regarding the situation going on with the current football team, we got to get to it. It did seem like we got more clarity on what it is they're dealing with this afternoon. We did, and I guess first I'll actually go back to last Tuesday um, after we released our last episode. You actually texted me saying we might need to you know, prepare to shift gears a little bit. I have a bad feeling this game might get canceled. And at the time, I said, what the hell are you talking about? I don't see this at all. Sure enough, a couple hours later, um, some more positive tests come out of Notre Dame, and and we see that game get postponed. Uh, But it was still a little bit unclear as the week went on what was actually going on. Um, Some people that we talked to within the program indicated over the weekend that things would have been extremely dicey if the Irish had to play with some very important parties impacted either by positive tests or contact tracing. Not going to speculate on who that is because that's not really our job. But Notre Dame came out today and said that within the last two weeks, they have encountered 25 total positive COVID-19 tests within the football program, as well as 14 other players who were impacted through contact tracing would have resulted in us playing against Wake Forest without 39 players. Um, I'm not a math guy. I was a liberal arts major, but that's almost 35% of your roster. And that sounds like a real issue. Uh, but the, I guess, positive news is that Notre Dame announced today that they returned to conditioning activities. Um, everything we've heard has indicated that they should be practicing perhaps as soon as Thursday of this week. So we'll see if that happens or not. But had a scheduled by this weekend anyways, and then um, ideally we will play that god-awful Florida State team on October 10th. <laughs> Okay, I can't take all the credit for that little heads up. I'm going to be honest. I did get a little, uh, my source, Jack Walsh, did kind of give me a heads up that the game might get canceled. And I was like, okay, it was Tuesday. So I figured if you're hearing this now, like that's, you know, that's not great, but it is still Tuesday. Turns out just a few hours later, he was right. His source was right. And Notre Dame's game was postponed. But like you were saying, there was a bye this week. And then there's Florida State next week, which is essentially a bye. Yep. But who knows if that game is going to even happen right now. The game against Florida State is scheduled to happen. But who knows? When you have 25 positive tests, when you have all those people in quarantine, like who knows what's going to happen. But I'll be interested to see how Notre Dame responds after this lack of practice time. I can't even really imagine how a football team goes from practicing full tilt since August 12th when Notre Dame opened camp and then having it all just kind of completely shut down for over a week during the middle of the season that's going to be really tough on the players and for the coaching staff and really everyone involved. But mm-hmm. I don't think that this situation is going to be unique to Notre Dame. I think a lot more teams are going to be dealing with this as the season goes on. We'll see if the SEC and Big 12 and those schools who are obviously handling it uh, a little bit different, a little bit less transparent. Um, I think just knowing what we know and how this has sort of happened across multiple leagues in baseball as well, there were outbreaks. Um, The only one there wasn't was the NBA, but they were in a bubble. So it's like these things are going to happen. It's just about how you respond. 
and yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say on it. You know, we're not medical experts. We're not going to give our opinions. And we're also certainly not going to like out guys on the team. So, I mean, that's sort of where we are with Notre Dame. And um, hopefully that game against Florida State can happen soon. But that's really all we know at this point. Yeah, no, that's that's all we know. Um, like you said, hope Florida State does happen. Although, honestly, with as abysmal as they've looked the first two weeks of the season, three weeks of the season, I don't think they deserve to play us. Um, so <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Um, but but let's get into it. Uh, like you mentioned, really kind of felt like the first full week of the college football season with the SEC back and the Big 12. What did you like out of this week? I did really enjoy just like having multiple games on that I actually cared about on the TV at once. But uh, the first thing I liked is how about Kansas State? beating Oklahoma one week after losing to Arkansas State. They score 17 points to Oklahoma's zero in the fourth quarter. It was weird to see an Oklahoma offense just completely shut down. They also had a bunch of crucial mistakes. Spencer Radler looked rattled in his second college start, his first one against a real opponent. He Oklahoma played Missouri State. We talked about this before, the fighting Bobby Petrinos. They were horrible. Kansas State came out of nowhere, and the fourth quarter was an incredible comeback. And now... Oklahoma 0-1 to start the season. And then how about Stanford transfer KJ Costello leading the air raid Mississippi State offense in the SEC? I can't believe this is the Costello that came to Notre Dame in 2018. I think he only had 174 yards, a pick, and was just getting dominated all game. And now he's going up against LSU, allegedly DBU. Goes 36 (laughs) of 60, 623 yards, and five touchdowns. Like, that's insane. SEC record, you, you know what that record has in common with Melvin Gordon's 408-yard rushing game for Wisconsin in 2014? I do not. Came against Bo Pelini defenses. Um, <laughs> yeah, I totally I, forgot Bo Pelini was on the LSU staff. They showed him during the game. Yeah, I was like, oh, my and, God, that's right. I mean, that's something I want to comment. I've said this off air. I really do think LSU last year was just the perfect storm with those receivers and, and Burrow and Joe Brady. Coach O might be the worst coach to win a natty, um, maybe only second to Les Miles, another LSU coach in the modern <laughs> era. Um, I really think that Coach O just locked out last year, and they are going to struggle mightily and lose a bunch of games. Um, and I mean, they got torched by a quarterback that has historically been pretty pedestrian. He didn't even look good in the first half. No. He looked like he had no idea what was happening, no, and then and they just kind of started clicking. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, Stingley's out, who's arguably the best defensive back in, in the country. But that doesn't matter. You're LSU. You're not. You're not supposed to let KJ Costello throw for 623 yards on you. I, that just that just shouldn't happen. Yeah, the Stingley thing was a little bit weird. Gary Danielson said on the broadcast that he was hospitalized due to an allergic reaction. Is what they're calling it. Yeah, I've seen it characterized as an episode. So either way, sounds kind of scary. Yeah, cryptic and weird for sure. But either way, yeah. you're right. Like if you're gonna call yourself DBU and if you're gonna recruit at the level. The LSU has, and look, like, I'm not going to throw Coach O under the bus. Yes, I do think he was very overrated, um, especially after last season. But I do still like Coach O. They have recruited pretty well, obviously, last year after winning the national championship. They had a huge class on their two deep. They lost this pretty much every single starter and then a lot of the backups, so a ton of turnover there. They were ranked way too high. That was based entirely off of last season's success, which is so stupid, right. which is why preseason polls are so dumb. But anyway... You just can't do that, especially at home, too. I mean, I know the crowd isn't going to be a huge factor. They probably only had 10,000, but still. What I do like about Mississippi State, though, is I kind of love that they're like, all right, we're, you know, we're not 
at the top of the SEC. We're not going to be recruiting at the same clip as these guys. So honestly, credit to Mississippi State for like, you know what, we're going to try something completely different. We're going to bring in Mike Leach, see if this works. And I mean, hell, so far it's working. And the last thing I like to keep it in the SEC, I do like seeing the top teams in the SEC struggling. I am a known SEC hater, so it was fun. Even though they're playing against each other, I thoroughly enjoyed watching Georgia really struggle against Arkansas, who's abysmal. Felipe Franks, we talked about it last week. That Arkansas (laughs) team is just so, so bad. So bad. They pulled away late, but it was ugly. I don't think any Georgia fan watching that game was going to come out of that feeling great about their team. LSU lost. Texas A&M squeaked by Vanderbilt. The only two teams in the SEC that at the top that looked real solid were Florida. They lit it up. That offense looks pretty dangerous. And Alabama doing Alabama things, just completely dominating an inferior opponent. I think Missouri kind of made it a little bit close to the end. They covered. Alabama, yeah, Alabama dominated that whole game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, too, do love to see... SEC teams struggle, so that that was an enjoyable part of a, of a Saturday without Irish football. Um, but I guess something else I liked, BYU, the cover machine. Um, <laughs> they only have six games left on their schedule, but they've outscored their first two opponents 103-10. to 10. Granted, um, that those first two opponents were Navy and Troy. However, they seem to be pretty legit, and <laughs> earlier last week, I came across the Twitter account for the father of former Irish lineman Tristan Hodge, his father Marty Hodge, uh, hysterical account. This guy is a guy in his probably mid-60s with a massive white beard and is covered in tats from head to toe, and in all his account is are hype videos for Cougar Nation. I highly recommend checking him out at, at Marty Hodge. But more importantly, BYU is quite good, um, and it'll be interesting to see if they become kind of just that uh, that team that's, you know, when somebody has an outbreak and somebody else is looking for an opponent, if that becomes them, because they only have one game scheduled in November. Uh, but, I, but I do wonder if, if BYU, if some more teams might try to look to schedule them because they do seem like they're pretty darn good. Yeah, maybe they won't schedule them for that exact well, that's reason. A, that's another valid point. Um, in terms of what else I enjoyed from the weekend, I mean, we already touched on it. LSU's defense just kind of getting lit up. I, I really enjoyed that, bringing them back to earth a little bit. Uh, but finally, I, I also really enjoyed the, that five minutes Saturday afternoon when everybody on Twitter was making jokes about Tom Herman's buyout um, and just using the whole Texas is back thing. Um, Texas ended up having a kind of miraculous comeback down 15 with 233 left, ended up beating Texas Tech in overtime. But um, the jokes were, were quite comical regarding Tom Herman and, and Texas – they don't seem very good. Um, kind of got lucky. Obviously, ended up putting up a bunch of points, but that was pretty comical. I don't know how much you saw of that, but I really enjoyed that. Yeah, that ending was insane. Texas Tech just completely blew that late, sixty-three to fifty-six. I know it went into overtime, but that's just so classic, like Big Twelve football. Just no yeah. defense whatsoever. And, I mean, if that this weekend was any indication, I just struggle to see having uh, you know the Big Twelve getting a team in the playoff. I just don't see a a dominant team there. Uh, but maybe that's something to discuss at a later date. With Oklahoma out, Texas looking mediocre like they did. I know they put up a ton of points, but like your defense just can't be that weak and make it to the playoff. I don't really know what the Big Twelve is going to do. It does kind of put a little bit more emphasis on the SEC. We were just talking about those top mm-hmm. teams were struggling. I really think. We're going to be in a situation where we're going to have some 6-4 and four SEC team that's trying to make a claim to the playoff, and then you're going to have Big Ten teams who only played eight games arguing, 
this year's college football playoff and that whole setup, I, I just have a bad feeling about it. I mean, now we got these Pac-12 idiots who are starting on November 4th. Uh, <laughs> who what do they think they're doing? I'm more, I was more excited about the MAC announcing that they were coming back than the Pac-12. <laughs> the Pac-12, I guess we'll get Pac-12 after dark, which is enjoyable. But other than that, who gives a shit? So no, <laughs> that's, that's my thoughts on the Pac-12. All right, three things we didn't like. Yeah. Um, I mean, first and foremost, we tweeted this on Saturday, but a Saturday without Notre Dame football is trash. Uh, my heart just wasn't quite in it really don't care that much about these other schools and that seems a little maybe ridiculous to say because I still did watch a ton of football on Saturday but if Notre Dame's not playing I, I don't care it's just it's just not it's not as enjoyable um so let's really hope we get this you know situation under control both for health and safety reasons as well as for my own selfish enjoyment um because I, I really need Notre Dame football on Saturdays yeah my heart I got a whoop you know have you mm-hmm. ever heard of a whoop they're yeah big podcast and hopefully they'll be an ad on ours i looked at my heart rate and it was actually normal throughout the afternoon and uh never jumped to extremely high levels so good for my overall health well, but bad for my sanity that we do are. have some playoff baseball on the horizon so i maybe that was a little bit of a reprieve before that because as we've discussed off air many times playoff baseball is perhaps the worst thing for your physical and mental well-being that's true and we got indians and cubs in the postseason this year maybe a world series rematch but all right, what else you got? Um, Kentucky in general, just kind of crashing and burning, but most specifically running a fifty, you know, a fake punt on their own fifteen-yard line. What the hell was that? Um, I just, just a horrible play call decision. I don't care. Even if it had worked, I think it would have been stupid. Um, might have only been topped by Brock Purdy's horrific pick six, which <laughs> I laughed at because people still try to claim he's better than Ian Book, which is just outrageous at this point um, but that fake punt really did kind of screw any chance of a Kentucky cover on Saturday which I did not appreciate um, so th- that's near the top of my list for for things I didn't like on Saturday as well and I guess finally we I just talked about this the Pac-12 announcing their return as well as the MAC and some of these other you know group of five conferences I understand the money is something that these conferences need they need to play they had their chance, though, and they've just boggled this and blown it, and bungled it, all those B adjectives so many times. It's just, it's a disaster, and it makes them look even worse and more incompetent, scheduling these games to be played in November. I'm just kind of sick of it. Like you said, it's not going to matter because the Pac-12 doesn't factor into the playoff race anyways, but like, Jesus Christ, you had your chance, you blew it, now you're just annoying me. We've actually talked about the Pac-12 far too much today already yeah. so we're just gonna move on from that we shouldn't be wasting any more time on that but i agree it's it's been so ridiculous watch them try to figure this out you know they basically just were like okay the big Ten's doing it we're gonna cancel too and the big 10 announced their comeback and then it caught the pac-12 completely on their heels they had no plan and yeah now they're playing games in november like what how is that gonna work like what is the point six game schedule whatever it is it, i mean the point is money we all know what the point is i guess i shouldn't say that but it's still just the way they've handled it from beginning to end it, it continues to get worse. Yeah, to, to steal a page out of uh, Mark Titus and Tate Frazier's book, that was the Pac-12 update. Hopefully we don't have to talk about them ever again. All right, now to my things I didn't like. Um, Kentucky. What the <laughs> hell was that? I called Terry Wilson Blue Jesus 2.0 in Sunday's headlines last week, and he he played okay. His stat line, like if you look at the box score, it's fine. He finished 24 of 37, 239 yards. But he fumbled this ball he 
crucial point in the game. So Kentucky's down 15-13. He spins himself out of the ball. Like, on a critical third down, he just goes to his right, spins left, loses the ball. Auburn picks it up. They have great field position. Then they throw it up to Seth Williams. Moss is the Kentucky defender. Just, th- like... Grabs yeah, his helmet was... and shoves him off and like, get off me, dude. You don't even deserve to be on the same field as me right now. Flexes on him. The ref was so impressed he didn't throw an unsportsman. Like, I think the ref probably taunted the cornerback too because he deserved it. <laughs> Kentucky just lays an egg in the second half. I look like an idiot for giving them as my pick. And yeah, the fake punt thing was weird. I don't know if that was called. I think the punter just sort of did that on his own because well, when that came, punter is a fucking idiot. Yeah. He was getting reamed out by Mark Stoops as soon as he got to the sideline. And if that was a read, what was he reading? Because <laughs> Auburn had guys there. Like I know. I get I get it if, you know, they stacked one side of the field and they've only got three defenders on there, but it was like a fourth and reasonable. I was actually kind of surprised they didn't go for it, but in the punter just tucks it and runs it. And, you know, when Notre Dame ran that fake punt, Jay Bramblett actually looked like an athlete. This Kentucky punter, not an athlete. Yeah. Dude probably runs a six-second 40. Didn't even get to the line of scrimmage before he gets blown up. So, God, Kentucky, I had faith in them. Money line. Nope. That was a disaster. Another thing I want to rant about, Florida State should not be on prime time again all season. They suck. Okay, they got rolled by Miami 52 to 10, and I know Miami is sort of like the hot pick right now. I don't even I'm not sold on no, Miami. I I'm not. I they will implode inevitably, but that's not what this is about. This is about how bad Florida State is. They are an embarrassment Horrible. to the game of football, to the state of Florida, to the Atlantic Coast Conference, everything. That whole program is in shambles. I know their head coach couldn't even coach because he has COVID. I mean, that's a joke within itself. Yeah, that's true. The only coach Right now, an FBS who was out was Mike Norvell in his second. That was supposed to be his second game at FSU. Yeah. It boggles my mind to bring back the B adjectives that Florida State is so bad considering Florida probably has the most talent out of any state in the country when it comes to football. So I don't know. They are so bad. It actually upsets me that Notre Dame plays them at prime time because, again, Florida State should not be allowed to play after 3.30 Eastern for the rest of the season. I mean, they shouldn't be allowed to play Notre Dame. We should literally throw (laughs) out, like, the St. Joe High School JV team out there. Or, I mean, I don't know who won the Interhall title last year. It could have been Dunn Hall. Put those guys out there. I mean, I'm being a little bit facetious here, but seriously, they are awful. (laughs) You know, we're setting up for Notre Dame to lose to Florida State. I, I can already feel it happening because we're trashing him so bad. But the third thing, uh, we've been tweeting this out before, the Miller Lights on game day. Can we explain this bit a little bit? Because I feel like we haven't really been able to share that story. But first two weeks of the season, uh, I really enjoyed coming home from work and then drinking a Miller Light as sort of a celebratory Notre Dame win. Uh didn't get to do that this weekend, obviously, with no game. And, yeah, that upset me. That was, like, the highlight of my day, considering I'm working on all, all these Saturdays. So it's not like I get to enjoy a few Miller Lights during the game. So I get one after work to sort of celebrate it. And, yeah, without that this weekend, it was uh, pretty disappointing. Definitely did feel a little bit empty without that experience. As far as the bit goes, I, I honestly don't even really quite remember the origination or origin of that bit. But uh, Miller Lights on game day has kind of been a – a motto for our friends for the last several years. So that was certainly disappointing to, to miss out on that, but hopefully we, we do get that chance soon enough to get back at it. Yeah, let's hope so. All right, let's get into Sunday's headlines. You want to lead us off? 
Yeah, I'll get going. Um, I guess my first one is Auburn outlast Georgia in rock fight at 3 a.m., 13 to 10. You know, Auburn did look a little bit better than I anticipated. However, I think their performance against Kentucky, as we discussed earlier, was aided significantly by Kentucky's own incompetence. I don't think Bo Nix is the answer besides, you know, he's got one really good receiver, um, but I think that's going to be somewhat of a defensive struggle. As we discussed, Georgia really struggled on offense. I think JT Daniels is supposed to start. However, he has not taken contact in a year, so that'll be interesting to see. He was cleared. He was cleared today. He was cleared today, so that'll be interesting to see. I just think that's going to be a defensive struggle. I think Auburn wins the game, um, but that's kind of uh, that's where I'm leaning for my for my first headline there. I only got one this week. Jimbo Fisher, MIA, after Alabama routes A&M. This is subheading. Alleged to have stolen $7 million from prominent Texas oil tycoons. The most ridiculous thing about the Jimbo Fisher contract is that he's technically only being paid. His base salary is $500,000. The extra $7 million is called supplemental income. And don't get me wrong. I think Jimbo Fisher is a good coach. I don't think he's worth $7.5 million. I mean... Yeah. His record at A&M so far is 18-9. and nine. They had a couple top 10 recruiting classes, which is good. Hopefully, we'll, like, we'll see what happens there. But yeah, I don't think that he's really done anything special. They've got Kellen Mott. He's got a veteran quarterback now. They did not look good against Vanderbilt. And yeah, the line right now is Alabama minus 16.5. Like the disrespect, but honestly, I might take Alabama to cover. So yeah, Jimbo yeah. Fisher's going to go missing. We'll be We'll be talking about Jimbo Fisher a little bit different after this year, in my opinion. Well, let me know how I can sign up for that supplemental income plan. I would take $70 of supplemental income, not $7 million. I mean, that's unbelievable. I don't know if that's like a Medicare type thing. Um, let me know how I can qualify for that. But Under the table. Yeah, yeah who knows? Um, Just get into business with some shady Texas people, and I'm sure you'll you'll have a lot yeah. of supplemental income coming your way. Yeah, I don't want to speculate in, in because who knows what that could lead to. But uh, my other headline for the week is Area Man shoots 57 over par at Grand Geneva. Heard remarking, I should be at Lambeau for the Irish and Badgers. This sucks. Who might that be? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Notre Dame was supposed to play Wisconsin at Lambeau Field this Saturday. Uh, really a bummer. That one's not happening. Hope that gets added back on to the schedule at that venue at some point. But I am going on a golf trip this weekend, and I'm an awful golfer. So that'll uh, that kind of explains the first part of that. Um, I'm sure there'll be another opportunity for us to lose some money this weekend with uh, horse racing too, because I believe the third leg of the Triple Crown is this weekend as well. But yeah, uh, that's kind of where I lean as as far as headlines go. But before we get to this interview with Tony Rice, just wanted to remind everyone that if you enjoyed listening to our podcast so far, we would love a follow on Instagram and Twitter at Sons of Sat Irish. And please, if you feel so inclined, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Really appreciate the feedback and, and help we've gotten so far in getting the word out. Really excited to talk to Tony Rice now. Let's get on to that. All right, we're joined now by some Notre Dame football royalty, former All-American, Golden Arm Award winner, Heisman Trophy finalist, and the last starting quarterback to lead the Irish to a national title, Tony Rice. Tony, it's a pleasure to have you on, man, so thank you for doing this. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. So, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were a Dylan guy, right? Dylanite all the way. Go Big okay. Red. <laughs> oh, you Dylanite too? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I lived in Dylan for a year, and Luke lived in Morrissey. 
Oh, why you had to move away from Dillon? Dillon is the place, or was the place <laughs> back in the time I was there. Well, I transferred in, lived in Dillon for a year, and then I migrated off campus. I think, uh, I think Dillon has a slightly different reputation now than it did when you lived there. But, I mean, Luke wasn't far. He lived right across the quad in Morrissey. So, Luke, what do you got to say about the manor? I don't want to say anything disparaging about it. It served its purpose. <laughs> yeah, he said it's Morrissey Manor, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right, let's get into some of the questions. So I wanted to start when you were a crew. Let's start at the very beginning. So you were Coach Holtz's first high-profile recruit at Notre Dame in the 1986 class, but in the years leading up to that, Notre Dame was very mediocre. They finished 7-5 in 1984 and had a 5-6 and six record in 85, and you're from South Carolina, so it's not like you lived nearby. So what made you decide to go to Notre Dame? Well, it really wasn't my decision. It was my grandmother's decision. Um, Coach Holtz came to the house, did a magic trick, treated her really well, and she said I was going to follow that little man. So, you know, you back in those days, you do what your elders tell you to do. Well, what was the magic trick? Magic, you know, he cut the rope in half, but he somehow put the rope back together. And um, I'm right there looking at him the whole entire time. And she couldn't figure it out what in the hell he was doing. Um, but he really impressed her. And for him to sit in her chair, her favorite chair back then, you know, you knew he had something special going on with him. That's interesting. And, and to your point, you got to gotta follow your elder's advice. And, and obviously you did. Um, but, you know, I guess it's pretty well documented. When you got to Notre Dame, things weren't especially easy right away. And freshman year is always tough pretty much on every college student. But, you know, particularly for you, um, you weren't allowed to play your, your, your first year. Um, but you didn't waver and, and you opted to stay at Notre Dame. And I guess just kind of curious kind of, what was that experience like for you, deciding to stay at Notre Dame and, and really fighting through adversity as soon as you got there? Well, being from South Carolina, knowing I'm um, far away from home and you don't have the decision to make because it was going to cost me $127 to get home. But my grandmother didn't have it back then, so she told me, you start something, you finish it. And um, just by you know, being able to be on campus and be a totally different um, person as far as I was a student rather than an athlete because again I didn't play my freshman year so I, I had an opportunity to do a lot of things with regular students that the other football players were not able to do and I, I really um, I don't take anything back from that it was a learning experience for me to get with everyone because we all have different backgrounds and to learn more about them and to tell them about you I read that you weren't able to like participate in any team activities. So what were you doing to stay in shape during that year when you couldn't play? I was out there throwing football with my classmates and with some guys that were in my dorm. Like in South Quad? Oh, yeah. South Quad, <laughs> right there in front of the, the lunch hall. <laughs> the South, South Dining Hall. And um, right beside the alumni in Dillon. And um, people didn't know who I, were, who I was. And um, I would just throw with random people along the way. So that was my form of exercising and trying to keep still keep in shape. But also basketball was my passion as well. So I played a lot of basketball at, um, you know, bookstore basketball. I played that, that freshman year and almost ended up winning it. Had the slam dunk contest being a freshman winning that. So I was almost like an all-around athlete, but I always kept myself busy. Wow, that's incredible. Once you were able to join the team, things started to turn around a little bit for the program too during your sophomore year and you became the starting quarterback by the fourth game as the season went on did you guys get the sense that you guys were building something special and could be potentially competing for championships soon it was like it was more of i was a snot-nosed freshman on the football field so you didn't know what was going on 
Um, coach gives you an order, you can follow the order, and you make sure that you do it the best of your ability. Um, but it didn't really click into my junior year um, that we had a chance. And um, being that, because Terry, see, Terry and Grizak was gone, so yeah, Ken Graham and I was competing for that number one position. And we didn't know who had it until that first game. And, um, you know, got it, and I never let go of it. And um, I was determined to push Kent, and Kent was determined to push me uh, to be the best quarterback out there. So it was a good duel challenge, and I'm, I'm glad that Kent and Coach Hose in Notre Dame gave me an opportunity to play football because other universities probably wouldn't have gave me a chance. Oh, absolutely. And, and you, you bring up, you know, just really being pushed by your, by your teammates there, and obviously everybody's familiar with – 1988 season um, where you guys ended up winning the, the national championship. But, but looking back on that season, you really did have one of the, the toughest schedules of all time that year. I think you played four teams that finished in the, the top seven, that championship that, you know, was the culmination of that season. Did you expect that? I mean, was that something that you really thought was, was possible or what were your expectations going into that season? Well, my expectation was not to turn the ball over. No, <laughs> no fumble. Um, I made sure I put my team in the right situation. I didn't have to worry about the defense. They're just going to do what they have to do. Don't let them score. If they don't let them score, and we don't turn the ball over, we still win. So that's the way Coach Hall's put it in our heads, um, that we're going to go out there and be the best team out there that Saturday or, you know, whatever day it was we're going to play. I never wanted the game to end because we would have to repeat back Monday preparing for another team. So I always want to stay out there and play. And felt sorry that the clock – you know, ended that the game is over. Now we go back to square one, prepare for the next team. And like you said before, those teams were all good that we played. And um, Notre Dame plays against the best. Being happy to have an opportunity to to play against those teams. And the years go by, and we start reflecting back on it. And every story gets better and better each and every year because we're getting older. So. So quick follow-up on that, though. So you said Monday, basically you dreaded Monday. Was that in part two due to just your love of playing or were Coach Holtz's practices the week of the games just that difficult? Game was so easy. Practice was a bitch. It was hard. <laughs> um, because, again, no matter what your class rank was and you're, you're working on a different team, the game plan changes. And um, he prepared us the best way. Like for me, he wanted me to think like him while I was out there playing. So you be ready. You think exactly you're going to step at a 45 degree, degree angle running the option, not 43, not 44, not 46, 45. So everything was pinpoint on target. If you take one little step around, wrong, he will stop you and pull out the ruler and say, this is not <laughs> the right step. And that's just by a little bit. So that's why the practice was hard. And when through Monday through Wednesday, and then Thursday, you know, you taper down. You just walk through. And Friday, we had a little walk through. But Saturday, we were right on. And it um, seemed like everyone knew exactly what role they were playing. And I didn't have to worry about anyone else's role but my role. You talk about kind of how the preparation for every game is different. But when, when we look back at that championship season, obviously the Miami game is the one that everybody talks about, one versus two, Catholics, convicts, whatever you want to call it. But before we get to what happened in that actual game, do you remember what the, the vibe around campus was like in the days leading up to the game? Was it any different than, than any other game week you experienced? I imagine the hype had to be just kind of otherworldly. Especially in October. That's football weather right there. Right. It, 
Um, we knew they were coming in our house. Um, a lot of people still remember when we were down there, they were looking for revenge. Um, but for me, I didn't want to play the game until Saturday. And just by walking in a, walking into the locker room, I just said, I didn't have my game face on. When I stepped out and touched that player like a champion today, that's when my, my game face went on. And um, looking up at the stands, people yelling, nice sunny day, pitch perfect day for that, for that game to happen. And um, I still talk to some of the Miami guys now to this day. And, you know, we always say captain versus convicts, you know, we're number one, you're number, you guys number two. But we still reminisce about that. And, and again, it's fun to, to talk about something over 30 some years ago that we accomplished and we played against one of the best teams ever. So you're pretty friendly with some of the Miami guys. So did you or did you not throw a punch before the game started? I threw a punch. I threw a oh, punch you did? Because I lived in Indiana, but now I live in Miami. Oh. I shake their hands now because they way outnumbered me. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you know, it was just more of that was my team. And whatever my team does, I'm going to do too. And, you know, they come into our house trying to disrespect, you know, take something away from us at our own home. We were not going to allow that to happen. You know, going down to the quarterbacks, going probably down to the kickers too. You know, the solid team and we're going to provide, but also protect each other. Absolutely. And you win the game, you beat Miami 31 to 30 and snap their winning streak. Have to imagine it was mayhem in South Bend. Now I'd like to kind of jog your memory a little bit. How did you celebrate that game? Where did you go out in South Bend after playing in one of the best college football games of all time? You know, I was, I, I went to my dorm just okay. to change up and everything. And then I went out with the guys and those places, we went to a lot of house parties. Bars didn't really want to, want to tackle that because if they the bars are they have the, the camera technology right now these days we would have been in a lot of trouble but <laughs> the house parties were always the best because we already knew each other and um again it was a student um, still being a student athlete and being like with everyone because notre dame is so big that we have a chance to to know these students that is doing the same thing you're doing but in the classroom as well and um, we spend more time partying with them because they were a big part of that game as well. That's awesome. I can't even imagine how much fun that night had to have been. Do you remember like which area? Well, it wasn't your house, obviously, if you lived in Dillon, but South Bend looks so different now. So where were like where was the off-campus housing? Notre Dame Avenue. We had Campus View back at the time, and I think they yeah. changed the name. So we used to go there a lot. Um, again, it's like clockwork repetition when we played at home, went to the same house. We all party together but then we also party with the students too sort of going off that like miami is the game that everyone talks about but the usc game at the end of the year was incredible and it's become somewhat of an afterthought just be i guess because of all the hype around miami and winning the national championship but that was a top ranked matchup as well andy number was number one and usc was number two so it's basically a play-in for the national championship and the night before the game ricky waters and tony brooks were out late and Holt sends them home. So now basically all the pressure on the offense is on you. So what was your mindset going into that game? Well, our backfield was ranked number one in the nation. You know, with those guys missing the game, good thing that Mark Green stepped up to the forefront and had one of the best games ever for him. Um, but at first, we thought that, you know what? We worked our butts off so hard. We have the people in right positions. I don't know what's the outcome we're going to be. Hopefully we went, but with those two guys who were big key factors in that game, Mark Green just ended up 
just knocking it out of the ballpark by having a good game. And, and again, our defense helped Rodney Pete um, down. And, again, the only thing I didn't, didn't have to do is turn the ball over. Um, but it, it was a great game. But people forget that game because you know, it was until the end of the season. But that was one of the one against number twos. Luckily that, again, our defense handled the job of Rodney Pete. And um, the next day we ended up having dinner with the alumni. I mean, not dinner, but lunch at the alumni, alumni before we even board the plane to come back. That was one of the great things, too, that we get to see some of the people out in California that probably don't really have an able or opportunity to come to Notre Dame to see a game. So after game, we spent there and enjoyed the time, got back on there, and then we celebrated and find out who our next victim is going to be. No, that's, that's awesome. And you bring up the, the next victim. And of course, that was West Virginia um, eventually. But looking back at the lead up to that game, Coach Holtz kept telling the media that, that you guys weren't going to be able to throw. And I know that he had a lot of tactics like that where he seemed to kind of downplay your, your own abilities. But when he's saying that to the media, did, did that affect you at all as a, as a quarterback going into that title game? You know, I was saying well, he doesn't believe in me. <laughs> <laughs> But don't forget that they had a they had a great quarterback. Major Harris, one of the best quarterbacks right. they played against. So I I was glad that the, the focus was on Major Harris instead of me because I can go out there and have a, a great day, in which I think I probably did. You did. You outplayed them. Yeah, they were playing man to man, and I was just throwing it like the ball I never you know knew I had. But um, <laughs> it, it it was fun. It was fun. Again, I didn't let anything. Um, and jeopardized me, uh, criticized me on the passing. Mm-hmm. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. We came this far, so far. So why change anything? I don't blame you. So did you and Holtz have a discussion, or did you kind of pick up on what he was doing at the time? I, I didn't, it didn't bother me. I, I, I played um, for a high school coach that you know was one of the best, too. He prepared me for that next level. And I tell you what, during that year, and looking at all the games we played, Coach Holtz, wanted to push me to be the best player out there. I tried to please whatever opportunity is given to me. And I went with a smile and go with a frown and um, get back up. Let's go ahead again. Let's just make sure we get the ball in the end zone, put our defense back out there. But I'd rather have the ball the whole entire time. Absolutely. And I guess kind of one last question we had for you before we get into some, some rapid fire. So you win the national championship. And for the most part, you know, a lot of that team – comes back the following year and, and you have a chance to, to kind of repeat as champs. Um, you yourself have a career year finish pretty high up in the Heisman voting, but team comes up a bit short losing to Miami in that last game of the regular season um, ends up finishing second in the poll. Coach Holtz has been on record saying that that 89 team was actually better than the 88 championship team. Would you agree with that? What's, what's your opinion on that statement? I think both squads were, were very up there. I said that they were thinking about how history wrote it. You know, they wrote the history that Notre Dame wouldn't win it. Uh, Coach Holtz wouldn't win in his third season. They thought his fourth season he would win. So that was the year, my senior year, that you know, we had an opportunity to do that and go back to back and still play against quality teams. Um, but again, the last game of the season against Miami. So they had a little bit of revenge out for us. And then we ended up going to play in Colorado and, um, end up beating them and that was one of the best games as well all those teams that are coming out because Notre Dame has an opportunity to play all those great teams and we're not in a conference 
So I was very pleased by saying that we had one of the hardest schedules around. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you still hold the record for most wins over top 10 teams of any quarterback in college football history. So, you know, you played the toughest teams and beat them most of the time. I, I tell you, our team did. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> they just made me as a starter. So, yeah, you know, again, being 28-3, and three, you don't really hear that much of it. Right. And um, most people will look at me and say, hey, like Patrick Swayze in Roadhouse, we thought you was bigger. Um, <laughs> But just, just the heart and the determination that I had those years that I played is just want to make sure that I represented the university and represent the Rice, the Rice family as well. Absolutely. I mean, for what it's worth, a phenomenal <laughs> career regardless. Um, but I guess now it, we would just like to kind of wrap this up here with, with a couple rapid fire questions. I know you mentioned that, you know, what you guys typically did when you were a student was head to house parties. Um, but what one question we did have for you, did you have a favorite bar in South Bend as a student? And, and I guess what's your favorite bar in South Bend now as a 53 year old? I think studies were, um, it's in Mishawaka. And, um, that was one of my go-to bars when I went. Okay. The owner and there was some of the other people there. Cause I, I did a lot in the community as far as reaching out to them, especially my freshman year. I wanted to get to know the city I'm staying in get to know the people in case something happened, they need their help. So that was one of the things. Um, you said another question you had for me? Yeah, uh, I guess favorite bar in South Bend now. Um, what's your favorite spot to head to now when you're in town? I say linebacker. Okay. I go, always go back to linebacker because I'm lead back and dragged me there a couple of times. It just made me feel at home back when I was there. I, didn't have, I had an opportunity, but I didn't really go because there was so many people going into that bar. And um, I didn't want to get in trouble by saying sure. national you know, the quarterback Notre Dame is out there drinking with the guys. So I basically hit the house parties more than anything else. All right. How often did Coach Holtz chew you out? Every day. <laughs> is, Every there day. One, is there one time that sticks out above the rest? Was there one time where you're like, oh, he's really giving it to me today? Oh, yeah. I, I threw the ball to Pat Terrell when Pat was playing receiver. And Pat dropped the ball. It was the perfect pass I've ever thrown in practice. Hit him right in the chest, and he just missed it. And he came, he went past Pat, came right to me. Don't you ever throw that ball back to that guy again? I'm like, wait, that was a perfect pass. He said, I don't care if you walk it up and throw it to him, and hand it to him. Don't throw him the ball, and don't give him the ball. And I was like, I got chewed out for nothing. You know, I did my job, and here he is yelling at me. But he called me Ricky Foggy for a year. Ricky Foggy was a quarterback at Minnesota that he coached, and Ricky and I are from the same, about 20 miles away from each other. So that's how Coach Host learned about me. And when Coach Host took that job at uh, Notre Dame from Minnesota, he must thought I was still Ricky because Ricky was at Minnesota. I didn't say anything about it. I just let it be. And I was Ricky for a year, and I never complained. I never stopped him from calling me that. So when he started saying Tony, like my junior year, I was still looking around like who's who he's talking to. It's a Tony bad answer because Tony don't get in trouble. But you know, he chewed me out. You know what? And, and I took it. Coach Cordelli always told me when I was there, listen to the words that are coming out of his mouth, not the tone of his voice. Because he's there to help you. And, and I, I didn't mind getting yelled at. And I just listened to the words and start smiling at him. And that was my little thing of getting back at him.
I think that's a really good lesson there. Obviously, like you just said, listening to the words he's saying and not the tone of his voice. Um, I guess another question I'm curious, how would you rate your living experience in Dylan Hall on a scale of one to 10? 10. Loved it? Oh, I loved it. Oh, I, I, I still talk to Father Doyle, even though he wasn't there when I was there. Father Joe Carey was there. But Father Doyle now is the rector of Dylan Hall. Yep. So when I was going through some hard times and trying to find my way, I went and talked to him. Well, it all started, Dylan Hall, but Father um, Doyle was there to give me some good advice. I always go back when I'm in need of, of someone pointing me in the right direction. I owe Notre Dame a lot, and I would owe them to the day I die because it started there and would end there as well. Well, I can't think of a better way to wrap it up than that. Tony, thank you so much for coming on. It means a lot to us, man, so thank you. Appreciate it, Tony. Thanks, guys. And that was Tony Rice, the last Notre Dame quarterback to win a national championship until this January, of course. Um, really awesome conversation. Clearly the guy loves Notre Dame and, and has a great appreciation for it, much like the place still does for him themselves. Um, really interesting to hear him talk about how he owes Notre Dame and will until the day he dies. Just kind of what you love to hear from a guy that I think is pretty well regarded by Notre Dame fans as a hero. Um, I don't know. What did you think? Yeah, I thought that was awesome. I think you could tell in his voice that he just loves the school. The one thing that did surprise me, he rated living in Dylan Hall a 10. <laughs> hey, a lot of time has passed. Did he not have to live in a lofted bed in the equivalent of like a four by four closet space? He must really love the place. But I'm just kidding. That was really cool. Um, like you said, he's very fond of the place and he reveres it. And I mean, I said it at the beginning, Notre Dame football royalty, like just he still has that title. He's the last starting quarterback to win a national championship at Notre Dame. Hopefully that's not his title much longer. But yeah, it was really awesome. He loves the place and it was cool to talk to him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, honestly, like you said, kind of just a, an honor to have him on. That's all I got for today. I don't know about you. That's it for me. So thank you guys for listening. You guys can please rate, review, and subscribe. And uh, we'll see you next week.